Welcome to this week's message from Mountain Park Church. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we hope that as you listen to today's message, you feel challenged and inspired to give God more room to work in your life this week. The point of Revelation isn't just to be some mysterious, ethereal, unknowable book. It's actually to give hope, tangible hope, to us so that we have the courage and the strength we need to walk through anything this life can throw at us. Because we have a hope in something beyond this life that is far better. And I was reflecting on my own life going, I don't know if I've lived that way most of my Christian life. I've had this idea, like I grew up in the 80s when Highway to Heaven was a show, you know, Michael Landon, like, no, it doesn't get any more glorious than that. Remember those Philadelphia commercials where they had the angels just kind of plucking their harps on the clouds? I thought that that's what heaven was going to be like. Well, it's no wonder that was dreadfully boring to me. You know, I, I, I thought for a long time that heaven was just going to be a big choir rehearsal. Like, how awful would that be? You don't even like singing for 10 minutes on Sunday morning in church. Church, how about the eternity of that? Come on, there's, there's, there's a reason why we have this distorted perception of the afterlife. And in, in the book of Revelation, John also says that, that Satan, the accuser, three main accusations, God, his people, and his temple, heaven. That Satan's main objective is to malign and discredit God, to discredit his people, and to distort the truth of what's waiting those who trust in Jesus after they die. Three things that he's actively doing in our life. And so it's not ununderstandable that our perception of heaven would be skewed. Because Satan has been trying for millennia to distort and minimize and discredit what God has in store for us. And I really hope that over the next few weeks, we get fired up about what God has planned for you. And the reality as we walk through these next few weeks that God isn't asking us to jump through a whole bunch of hoops to get there. He's asking us to trust in Jesus. That's it. That's it. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to heaven except through a relationship with me. We don't have to get out our notebooks and start writing line after line, line of what we need to get better at. And so today I thought it would be great to start. And, and I just want to preface this by saying we're going to talk about some things that maybe you've not considered or heard and I'm, I'm not talking to you as the de facto expert on heaven. There is so much that we don't know and that I don't know. But I want to stir you to begin to ask God questions, to actually stir you to study and look at some of this for yourself, to let him actually bring you instruction and truth, not just what I say, but take it and test it and see what he has to say about this. So today, we're actually going to st start this journey um, with what happens to us when we die today, like today. What happens 
when we pass from this life to the next life right now. And, and scholars have a term for the heaven that exists right now, and it's called the intermediate heaven. You see, I read from Revelation 21, which talks about the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. That hasn't happened yet. That's a heaven that's actually awaiting us. When we die today, we don't go there. We go to this place that scholars call the intermediate heaven. But what, what is, we're gonna take a look at a couple key verses. First, I wanna draw your attention to uh, a parable that Jesus told some people in Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Now, before we start reading this, I just wanna preface this by saying, uh, there's many different forms of writing in the Bible. There's historical writing, there's apocalyptic writing, there's prophetic writing, there's poetry. There's many different forms of writing that take place in the Bible. And what I want to suggest to you and just put out there is that uh, oftentimes we'll lump a whole book, like the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel as, as prophetic, apocalyptic writing. And we'll assume that because there are a lot of verses in those books that deal with that, that there can't be anything historical or anything we're supposed to take literally. And so I want to challenge you in our assumption of Jesus's parables even. Oftentimes we read his parables and we just assume they're nice metaphors. But as we read this one today, I want to challenge your paradigm and perception of, of these parables. That yes, they're parables and Jesus has metaphorical points, but they can also be practical. That the same way my wedding ring is a symbol of devotion and my love and my amazing husbandhood to my wife, she'll tell you, no, I'm just kidding, um, that it's also a physical thing. I can, yeah, there, I can get it off. So not only is it symbolic, but it's, but it's also an object, a physical object that represents something else. And so as we're talking about heaven and the way Jesus talks about it, it's not just metaphor. What I want to propose to you is that, is that there is symbolism, but then there's also practical application. That if Jesus is describing heaven in a certain way, we can actually just take his word for it at face value. We don't need to make some crazy, um, you know, interpretation of it. And so as we read these, we're, we're skirting this line between metaphor and parable, um, uh, illusion, and also reality. And I, and I don't want to clearly define for you which verses are which, but as we read through this, I want to challenge you that what Jesus is saying is not just ethereal, he's actually describing places and things and people. So let's read, let's read this parable. Acts, or sorry, Luke uh, 16, verse 19. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived, lived in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man, poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. 
and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great, great separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I, for I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. So we have this incredibly vivid parable, this illustration that has many meanings. We're not going to cover all of them today, but what I want to suggest and challenge you with is that the description that Jesus is offering of the afterlife, a lot of it can be taken at face value. There would be a reason that Jesus is describing things the way he is. Did you know that this is the only parable Jesus identifies a person by name? This is the only parable where he actually attributes a specific name to someone. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Well, I wonder if Jesus is trying to say, look, there's a lot of hidden meaning packed in how we should live today in light of this parable. But there's some truths that we need to uncover about the life waiting us beyond the grave that I want you to know. So here are some really quick observations. If you have some paper or something, you can jot these down. But just some really quick face value observations to launch us into our journey. One, after their death, their transition into the after, after was immediate. Jesus said to the one thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So I want to put to rest any assumption or any uh, miscommunication that there is some, some kind of purgatory or intermediate state we live in. There's some kind of place we go after where we have a chance again to kind of redo things I want to just put that to rest. There's also not this, this thing that, that um, philosophers have come up with over the centuries called soul sleep. We don't just go to sleep when we die. We enter into eternity. So that's number one. As soon as we die, immediately we're, we're taken into eternity. We're not taken into nothingness. We're not taken into sleep. We're not resting in this middle zone called purgatory. We're taken immediately to eternity. Number two, we're taken to either heaven or hell. There's no in between here. We're gonna talk about in the next few weeks what our default destination is, but we're not gonna do that today. So we're either taken into heaven where 
will actually be comforted by, by unity, by relationship. Notice that it said that when Lazarus died, he was escorted into heaven and he was comforted by those that were already there. And when the rich man died, he was in isolation and alone in torment. Number three, there is continuity between our life here and our life in eternity. Lazarus doesn't turn into somebody different when he dies, and the rich man doesn't turn into someone different when he dies. There's continuity there. We're going to get into that a little bit more. I want to read you a few more verses. Back into Revelation. We're going to unpack this a little bit more. Revelation 6, verse 9. This is a vision that John had from Jesus. So this. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given each one of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. So we've got this view of this other situation on in heaven. And I'm going to draw correlations between the parable Jesus told and this story because these verses are incredibly powerful to give us a glimpse into what heaven could be, could be like. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 2, and some of you may know it. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart could fully know what God has planned for us. And oftentimes, we stop, stop and go, well, there's nothing thing that we know about heaven. There's nothing we can know because the Bible says it, but we forget to read the next verses where Paul says, but the Holy Spirit has revealed it to us and uncovered the, the mysteries of the kingdom of God for us. So the Bible actually does have a lot to say about heaven. And of course, I'm not making statements of de facto truth. I'm just presenting to you what the Bible has to say and asking you to wrestle with me in interpreting, God, what does this mean and what is the implication for me? So back to continuity. We saw in Jesus' parable that Lazarus and the rich man were the same people after they died. In this story, in this vision that John has of these martyrs who are under the throne, I want to make a few more observations. One, that these people experience continuity between their life on earth and their afterlife. Why? How do we know that? Well, the first thing is they understand that they were martyred for their faith. They actually remember what happened to them on earth. Number two, they actually are aware of how they died. Number three, there is a uh, time represented here that they've asked 
Christ on the throne, how much longer is it going to be before you avenge and bring to justice our, our deaths? And Jesus, Jesus on the throne says, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. So they're aware of what their life was like on earth, how they died, and there's an awareness that justice has not been brought. So there has to be some kind of cognitive awareness of what's happening on earth to know that justice has not happened yet. So not only is there continuity between earth and heaven as people, but there's also continuity in time. And there is also a, a, a give and take sort of relationship that's happening between the two. There's an awareness that's taking place. What else do we see from these verses, uh, both Jesus' parable and these in Revelation? One, that it seems to be Jesus is presenting a, a truth, and John is in his vision that these people are actually clothed in physical bodies. What they look like exactly, we don't know. But it, but it actually says that that Lazarus and the rich man, uh, you know, Lazarus, um, or the rich man asked Lazarus to, to dip his finger in water and cool his tongue because he was, he was in bush. Well, if you are just a, a disembodied spirit floating around in the cloud somewhere, you don't have a tongue that you need dipped with water. And these martyrs that were under throne it says that they, they were given a robe of white to wear while they waited. You wouldn't give a disembodied spirit floating around in Nowheresville something to wear. So again, and I'm not making, uh, uh, I'm not making you know, uh, statements here that are definitive, but these are great questions to ask and things to examine because their implications are huge. And we're gonna see as we look in the next few weeks at the future heaven that God is going to restore this earth and, 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 and bring heaven down. We, like, again, we always have this idea that heaven is out there, up there. But ultimately the Bible says that God is gonna bring heaven down here right here on earth. So as you think about what happens when we die, you know, uh, the first time that I, I really was sparked to take an interest in this was a few years ago when our family went through a season of incredible death and loss, started actually with a cousin of mine in California. And then a month later, my, bro my brother was killed in a car accident. A month after that, my uncle, who was like a father figure to me, was killed on the job site in Dundas as he was working. A month after that, my wife's grandmother 
passed away. We went, went through a season of incredible loss where we were just completely reeling. And, and I, I got a hold of this book, and I encourage you, a lot of my thoughts and ideas are, are shaped by this book called Heaven uh, by a man named Randy Elkhorn. And it's, and it's not a book about what people who have, uh, have been said to have gone to heaven and seen is. It's a book that's strictly focused on what the Bible has to say about heaven. But let me tell you that in this season of incredible loss, where I didn't know what was up and what was down most days, when we're just trying to hold things together, the truths that God began to reveal to me about heaven gave, gave me strength and, and courage. To know that possibly my brother-in-law, who was killed in a car accident, his wife and their unborn first child were in the car. They survived the accident, a beautiful niece and sister-in-law. They survived. And when I would walk around for the next few weeks and hear people grieving and saying, it's so, it's so tragic that he'll never know his daughter, that he'll never see her, I was going, no, 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 no. I don't understand. Because I believe that in the life to come, we are who we are here. God has made you the way he's made you for a reason. He's given you the gifts and the passions and the strength and the talents that he's given you for a reason. Not to erase it when you die and just create somebody new, but for you to spend eternity fulfilling the deepest passions of your heart and your longing. And so, do I know for sure if my brother-in-law is you know, uh, knows exactly what's going on. No, I don't know for sure. But from what we read here, I can have a healthy amount of faith. Dell is who he was, even though he's passed from this life to the next. And that he's actually potentially aware of what's happening in his own daughter's life. And imagine this, that the people that you, that you love the most who we grieve the most for when we feel the loss of them on earth are the same people that we'll have an eternity to spend life with. Just, just think about that for a minute. That changes our perspective. It changes our hope. It gives us faith and courage to know, God, I can walk through this season right now. I can walk through these years of sorrow. I can walk through this loss because I know this isn't the final chapter in the book. But so many of us have grown up, grown up this idea that, that you know, when we die, uh, everything is erased. That we're not going to know each other. It's just going to be some group of nameless, faces, facelessless, bodiless people floating around forever. That's dreadful. But what happens if what we do on this earth now has direct implication of eternity? And what happens if you and I, with everything that God has hardwired into us, carry that over? and have an eternity to live that out. The things that, that you're most passionate about, the things that get you fired up, 
the purpose that God's put in your heart doesn't die when we're put in a grave on earth here, I believe. What else do we understand from these verses? Not only do these martyrs understand time and be somehow aware of what's happening on earth, but they're asking questions. They don't know everything. I think one of the other assumptions I had growing up was, well, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to know everything. I, everything is going to be cl clear. And I do believe that there will be a tremendous amount of, of clarity and instruction, but clearly we are still learners in heaven. The wisdom and insight and understanding of God, God is limitless but we still are finite beings that need to learn. And if you think about it, what are the things that you, you love exploring right now on earth? What are the things that you love to look into, to dig into? I believe that even when we get to this intermediate heaven, we're going to, to be able to, to actually explore and learn and gain deeper understanding and greater perspective. Did you know that the verses that I started off in, in Revelation 21, where it says that he will, he will wipe every from their eye, there'll be no sorrow. It doesn't say that about the intermediate heaven. It doesn't say that at all. And some people really wrestle with this idea. Well, can heaven be heaven if, if they're seeing what's happening on earth. Wouldn't that make them just filled with sorrow and anguish and, and fear and all of these other things? And maybe, but I want to suggest to you that the thing that changes everything and will change everything for us right now is perspective. When we get a chance on the other side of this life here, when we, when we get a chance to see th things, a little clearer, to ask questions directly to Christ, to, to investigate and see things clear, our perception and our perspective will shift. And likewise, here on earth, when, when we understand what's waiting for us in heaven, what's waiting for us, what God has planned for us, our perspective changes. And just like those first, first century Christians were, were filled with hope, hope and courage to face any trial, any circumstance. Because what God has for us is so much more than the Philadelphia commercials. And it's so much more than white, white clouds and floating like angels. I don't, I don't know what angels do, but it's so much more than that. So our invitation today, as we begin this journey, is to allow God to just, just hit the reset button in our minds and in our life, in our understanding of what heaven is currently and will be, be for eternity. In that season of our life when, when it felt like we couldn't even catch our breath, when the weight of that sorrow was just crushing. 
it was these verses that gave us and me strength and hope to know that the end is not not then to know that you and I, everything we've fought so hard for, everything we've wrestled with, everything we've experienced, every part of our life that's brought tremendous joy and also tremendous sorrow, that doesn't just get wiped away into nothingness, but that actually on the other side of this life that becomes perfected in the light of Christ. These are just few measly verses <laughs> that we're using as a launching point to try and discover more of who God is and what, what he created for us. The Bible says that Jesus, it gives this sort of term to him, that he was the first fruit of God's plan for redemption. Let me ask you this. When Jesus rose from the dead and he showed himself physically to hundreds of people, to his disciples, he even actually, the Bible goes to the length to say that he sat, he sat and he ate a meal with them. I and mean, he literally said, I'm not a ghost. If Jesus came back as Jesus with a physical body, and the Bible says that he's the first representation for us of what God wants to do with us for eternity. What is stopping us from believing that on the other side of this life, God has the same purpose and plan for us? That what Jesus did first is the model for what he wants to do for all of those people that call him Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't get very excited about the, the notion of being a disembodied spirit who has no character, no emotion, no, like I don't get excited about the thought of being a robot singing songs for eternity. I do get excited about being the Andrew that the Bible says God knit in his mother's womb, that he knew before the foundations of the earth and that he had created a great purpose for it. I do get excited when I think of all of you and the purpose that God has given you, the vision that he's given you. I get excited because I believe that from what we see in scripture, we'll get the chance for an eternity to press in to those things that God has wired us, hardwired in us, the passions that we have, the gifts that we have, the things that get us so excited, the people that we care about the most, if they put their trust in Jesus, we'll have an eternity to develop relationship. If my niece puts her trust in Jesus, she'll have an eternity to know her dad. And then when you think about how temporary our is, the Bible says our life is like a passing moment. When you think about how temporary our life is, 
in the context of eternity. It can give us the strength and the courage we need today to press on and just to keep walking. Those of you who have experienced great loss, Jesus says there's hope. It's not a hope for something. It's a hope that the people that you've invested so much love and time and energy into, you'll have the opportunity to continue that for eternity. There's a story as I close that the this book, Heaven, tells. And he had a, a mother write him one day after she had finished reading the book. And this mother goes on to tell Randy that um, they were on a family vacation and they were driving on an interstate and there was an accident ahead and they slowed down, but a semi-truck didn't notice the traffic had slowed and this semi-truck plowed into the back of their SUV, killing all six kids. All six children dead in one blink of an eye. And Randy asked this woman, he said, how do you even get out of bed? How do you even put two steps together? How do you even function? And she said, as hard as it is, as hard as it is, because of what I know about God and what he has waiting for me, it gives me the strength to 30 years without my kids on this earth so that I have an eternity with them in heaven. But all of this is contingent on what you believe about God and what you believe about what's coming next. Jesus is really clear that the way to heaven is through him book of Romans it says we're saved by grace through faith we it's not something we can earn or work toward it's it's the free gift of God and that if we put our trust in Jesus if we humble ourselves and acknowledge God that I don't have the answer that that I don't have what it takes to to make it to heaven on my own I need you Jesus to come and make a way for me to be made right with God. The Bible says, says we do that, that we're saved. And so my question to you is, in your own life, where are you at in your spiritual journey? Have you resisting this idea that know everything and that you need Jesus in your life? What about family? Knowing these things has transformed how I pray for those around me who, who don't know Jesus. Because I, I want, I want those I love and who are closest to me 
to experience the eternity that God has in store because it's not just a giant sing-along. I believe it's so much richer and we're gonna talk about that over the next few weeks. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.